happens all the time. This crazy love of mine. Isn't that the Eagles? Nope. But you've heard the song. The band is Poco. And before Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and the Eagles arrived on the scene, there was Rusty Young who inspired them and launched a whole new musical genre. I want to welcome Rusty Young, who is one of my heroes. He is, no, I'm not kidding. I worked at a grocery store when I was 16 years old in Austin, Texas. Grew up in Austin, and I remember hearing, picking up the pieces and going, God almighty, who is that? Who are these guys? Because it was just a different genre. It was country rock. It wasn't twangy you know, Merle Haggard, it was, it was like cool. And so I started following you guys when, from, from the time I was in high school to the time I was in college. And I think I mentioned to you on, on my note, when I put a band together on our nights off, when I was working at the country dinner playhouse, we used to cover your stuff. And it it's, I've, I've always, I've listened to you for forever. Tell me, how you how you got started? I, I know that there's a, a Buffalo Springfield connection. Tell me about that. It's nice to be able to talk to you today rather than just sending messages back and forth. So, and it's nice meeting you, Andy. And I'm glad that you were the one person supporting us over all those years. <laughs> <laughs> you did buy a lot of records. I did. Um, I've got them all still. <laughs> I'm one of those guys on Spotify too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well. Um, it really got started when uh, I got a phone call. I was living in Denver and playing in a, a a band that was kind of one of the two or three big bands in that area, in the Colorado, Wyoming, area, Oklahoma area. I joined this rock band, and all my friends, I because I'd only played country music up until then, I think I was 20, I think I was 20 when I went out to L- L.A. to play on the Buffalo Springfield record. But I'd only pay, and all my friends in country music said, "Oh, you're making such a huge mistake. You're a great steel player. You, you're just throwing it all away, you know, <laughs> doing that rock and roll stuff." So, but I, I, I got the call to go out. A friend of mine, Miles Thomas, was uh, road managing the Buffalo Springfield, and uh, Jimmy and Richie wanted. They had a song called "Kind Woman," and they thought a steel guitar would be good on it. And back then, there weren't a lot of steel guitar players. I think they had one in L.A. And uh, so anyway, my friend Miles says, hey, I, I know a guy. He's he's the best. Why don't we get him out here? And, and Richie and Jimmy said, all right, let's do it. Let's try it. So and, I, this I, is, I, and this is Jimmy uh, Messina and, and Richie Fury. Yeah. Okay. They were working. The Springfield was in doing their last time around record, which was the last time around that, you know, Stephen and, and Crosby had already you know, been doing things together. Neil wanted, had always wanted to be a solo act. He barely showed up for shows anyway. And so uh, it wasn't hard. They didn't really miss him because they were used to it. <laughs> and, and so um, Jimmy and Jimmy had been playing bass for the Springfield. So, and he, but he's an engineer, a brilliant engineer and guitar player. And uh, so the two of them were working on Richie's project, which was kind woman. And I think there might've been one other song, but I can't remember what it was. And Stephen, they weren't a band anymore. Stephen was in one studio working on his stuff, and he had all you know session musicians playing and his friends and that. And Neil, uh, I don't even know where Neil was, but he had nobody in the band to played on on his his cuts. And um, 
So I went out there and they said, um, we want you to play steel guitar on this song. And uh, it was it wasn't a real difficult song, but when I unpacked my steel guitar, the airlines had broken it. They busted the pickup right out of the guitar. Jeez. So, and I'm a huge Springfield fan. Uh, I, this was like really, you know, I was awestruck just being there. Sure. And so I unpacked my guitar, and like I said, there weren't. You couldn't go to the music store and buy a pedal steel guitar in 1968 or nine. I think it was 68 that. So I was really in trouble. Here I am, the session of my life, and my guitar is broken. So Jimmy said, you know what? I think Stephen wanted to learn to play steel guitar, and so uh, Showbud sent him one out, and I think it's in the closet. He never did learn to play it. It's just sitting in the closet back there. And so wow. just, it was, fate is a wonderful thing. So we set up his Showbud. But in the world of steel guitars, there are different ways they can be set up where the pedals do different things. That one was set up opposite of what my guitar is so i had to play on a guitar it's it would be like playing guitar behind your back if you were a guitar player good lord and so uh, but i got through it and uh, it was unusual probably different than i would have played normally but richie and jimmy and i got along really well jimmy had a real kind of country background too as you know his guitar playing is a lot like james burton that used to play with ricky nelson his guitar playing is a lot like that we had a lot in common and um so the three of us really got along. I, like I said, just I love Richie's voice. I, he's one of my favorite singers of all time. He's got the coolest voice. And so the, for some reason, the three of us headed off. They needed a new band, and they wanted to go the direction of, of country, country rock. You know, they thought that was an open, wide open field, which it was at, the, at that time. But it's not that we were the first. I mean, the Everly Brothers were country rock. And, you know, there's the, the country rocks by uh, uh, Ray Charles. Yeah, um, there's been a b- bunch of country rock acts, really, um, and Buck Owens to me was a country rock act the whole time. You know, I've got a tiger by the t- yeah. you know all this loud and twangy. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you you guys put just a different spin on it and a different I don't know it, it was just had a different vibe to it. The whole idea was to take Richie's rock and roll melodies and lyrics and put country music around it, put the country instruments around mm-hmm. it, and be, play mandolin and banjo and dobro and steel guitar. I could add all those elements to it. And Jimmy with his kind of country-ish guitar playing. So it made it rock and roll, but with country as the color that's around it. And uh, we thought that was a great idea, and no one was really doing that at the time. And nobody had the vocals like you guys did either. You know, right. Harmony's well, been around forever, but but you yeah. guys had just a really special tight harmony and i think that's what hooked me it was like god these guys like sound like angels i mean (laughs) really he really did yeah it was it was great the first band was the best when it uh before richie kicked randy out of the band uh with randy meisner and richie and george our, our drummer um the three of them just together were that's why robert hilburn in the la times came to see us at the troubadour and said that poco will be the next big thing it was it was really magical and uh and so i i enjoyed it i it was it was a great time it, it was amazing at the troubadour to uh, to look down into the audience and over to, to my left would be ricky nelson with ozzy and david and ricky was wow. a huge he came to almost we were the house band and he came i don't know three or four times a week and with sometimes with his dad and sometimes not george harrison came and waylon jennings came and just a whole huge list of people coming coming by to see what was going on with us 
And uh, it was a really, really exciting time. I mean, I was Ricky Nelson. That blew me away. I was a huge fan and, and ended up becoming a friend of his. I mean, just my opinion, but I think that had it not been for you, I don't think there would be a Pure Prairie League or or Eagles. I think that's the band that you all are compared to the most, and especially since you had Timothy for a while and then he left to join the Eagles. But I don't think that they would have been the success. Hell, who knows? They might not have even formed up if it hadn't been for you guys. Well, yeah. Um, when we were playing the Troubadour, at the Troubadour Bar would be Jackson Brown, J.D. Souther, uh, Glenn Fry, Don Henley. J- uh, J.D. and uh, Glenn would be, were an opening act sometimes. They had a, a duo, and they uh, put out an album. And, and uh, there, was, there was a lot of influence. I remember back when we were in the studio, and the Eagles had just got back from recording in Florida. And Glenn came up to me, and he said, listen, you you got to hear this song. It sounds just like you guys back at the Troubadour. And it was one of these nights. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. And I, I was blown away. I mean, I still think that's one of the greatest records, you know, coolest songs, greatest records and performance. And the odd, funny thing about it was, it was a, a prediction or a premonition of what was coming. Glenn, this is, you know, I love this song. I think that is brilliant. That's going to be a monster hit. You know, it's really, really great. And, and we, he said he played the acetate or the, oh, it was the a quarter inch tape he had. Of mm-hmm. it. So, I, you know, I walked out of the little recording room and walking down the hall and Bernie's walking by me. And I said, Bernie, he just played me one of these nights. That is such a great song. And Bernie says, I effing hate that song. <laughs> it was going <laughs> a different direction than he wanted to go. And, and uh, so, you know, eventually he went a, di- a different direction too. But uh, but anyway, yeah, I think we did influence them. And I, I don't know that they would not have got together, but I think we had a, a big part in it. Yeah. And they said, you know what, let's put a band together and then we're going to steal their shit and do this. <laughs> <laughs> they were better at it. They were, they, you know, back then there was uh, AM radio and FM radio. Yeah. I know you remember this. And AM radio was the hits and that's where they sold the records. And FM radio was just like underground and we were huge on FM right. radio. Stereo, the sound is better. Oh yeah. They could, they could play 20 minute cuts and they did. Where on AM <laughs> radio, it had to be two minutes and 18 seconds or they didn't play it. And, uh, Don and Glenn were really good at working that AM radio thing. And they got hits they deserved. I remember that when uh, we were in recording and our engineer came into the thing and he said, boy, I just heard a song I swear was you guys on the radio. And I don't even remember cutting it. It was called Take It Easy. When did we do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that how you had band members come and go, but then... Mm -hmm. Then they'd come back. Yeah, it's it's really it's hard to do that these days, and especially like Tim, you know, with the yeah. Eagles, he, he's living in a different world than yeah. we do. Uh, I the only time I've come close to punching him was uh, <laughs> when the last one of the last times I saw him, he said, "Yeah, this Eagles thing, it's really a great gig. I can't imagine flying commercial again." And, oh. You know, every time Standing in line to go through security and get on the plane and at the rent a car and at the hotel. And I think of Tim and uh, thank God he doesn't have to fly commercial anymore. But he lives in a, he lives in a different world, you know. He the celebrity, big time yeah. rock star, like Jimmy Messina. Jimmy's probably my best friend um, of the guys that have been in the band and one of my best friends ever. And I see Jimmy all the time now because he's moved to Nashville. And mm-hmm. I talk, I just talked to him 
three, four days ago. He gave me a, a shout. And Jimmy and I will do shows. We've done shows in the in the past together, the, the two of us, mm-hmm. his band and I sit in. We're planning on doing more of those in the future. Jimmy called me up and we had some downtime. And he said, I'm doing a string of six shows in California. Why don't you come out and, and sit in with the band? And because I played on a lot of the Loggers Messina records, I think I played on all of them on maybe one or two songs. Did you ever have any contact with Kenny at all, Kenny Loggins? He, he married my girlfriend. Oh, well, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, sure. And we went out and we were doing these shows on the West Coast. And uh, after one of the shows, a guy comes backstage, he introduces himself, and he says, have you ever thought of doing a solo record? I didn't realize this, but he knew more about me than I do. And uh, I said, well, no, I haven't. I've always just done Poco records. And he said, well, I've got a label, Blue Alon, and we would love for you to make a record for us. And I said, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you because <laughs> I thought about it and I hadn't been writing songs. So I, we got back to Kirk, his name is. And uh, I came home and I sat down and started writing and I had ideas and half songs here and there. And after a couple of weeks or so, we, we called him back and said, let's make a record. And uh, so if it weren't for Jimmy and doing that, I wouldn't have been introduced to Kirk and Blue Alon. And that record wouldn't have happened. And I love that my solo record. Uh, I think it sh- really shows what my participation in Poco over the years was. You hear the elements that I brought. And at the end of doing that kind of thing for me, it just wraps it all up. Your songs, I mean, they're just... I, I do sound like a fanboy because I am, but it, they're they're really terrific. You know how I ended up writing. We were we you know we were living in Colorado and Richie was in the band and all that. And Good Feeling to Know came out and it bombed. Uh, they released Good Feeling to Know as a single, and we thought it was going to be a huge hit because we were playing it live and DJs had come up and say, "Well, there's your first big hit," you know. So we were we were pretty certain of that one, and you know it was right for the time. And uh, the label released it, and I think it made it to 82 or something. I, I'm not sure how much further it got than that. And that's the reason Richie quit the band, is because then David Geffen told him that uh, we were holding them back. So um, so we're in Colorado. We get on a plane and fly out to L.A. to meet with David Geffen. So we get in there, and Geffen calls Richie into his office. And Richie was always his favorite, and so that wasn't unusual. But he called him in there, and, and then uh, just Geffen walks out, and he says, Okay, boys. Richie's leaving the band. There's four of us on this couch. I'll never forget. It was a green, white whale, corduroy couch. And across from it was all these gold records that uh, that Geffen had, had been part of. So we're sitting there, and first in line was Paul Cotton. And he says to Paul, he says, Paul, you you sing and you write songs, don't you play guitar, right, don't you? And Paul said yes. And he said, don't worry. Richie's leaving. You'll be fine. And then he went to Tim. I said, Tim, I know you write and, and you you sing, don't you? Tim says, yeah, I do. And he said, you're going to be, there's no problem. You'll, you'll be just, just fine. <laughs> and then, he, then he came to me. And at the time, I was the, you know on the cover of Guitar Player magazine. I'd been up for five years. I'd been chosen the best steel player. Yeah. So they had to retire me from the contest. Um, I, was at, I was playing on everybody's records from Gladys Knight to Three Dog Knight, from Joan Baez to Joe Walsh. Wow. Uh, you know, I was doing tons and t- I music. I even played music sessions with uh, <laughs> with Ben Campbell. Stupid. You know. Oh wow! The, so uh, you know, I was really at the top of that game. And he looked at me and he said, "You don't sing and you don't write, do you?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Well, you're in trouble." <laughs> <laughs> 
that's when the light bulb went off. And, uh, <laughs> and you went, and oh, whoa, whoa, oh, I, I misspoke there. I thought you were talking about something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, then I realized that in the music business, and this is true to this day, uh, the people that are really important are the guys who sing and write. Yeah. The, the writers and the singers. And uh, so it was clear to me that I was going to have to learn to be a singer and a, and a writer. And, uh, but I've been around such great, you know, everything from Neil when he was working on his first solo record, he'd come by Richie's and play songs. And I remember sitting with just him and me in front of the fireplace and he'd say, what do you think of this? And, I, and you know, on Neil's first solo record, the band was, was George Grantham, Jimmy Messina on bass and, and Neil, and then various session guys, but Jimmy and, and, uh, George were the rhythm section for his whole first record. Talk, and then he got a steel guitar player. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, but that that no boy, you know, if I'm going to not end up in a playing in a club for two hundred dollars a week, you yeah. know, the rest of my, I better learn how to do this. And I had great teachers around, people that I could watch and learn from, and uh, so I, and the, the band was perfect for it at that time when Richie left. Uh, Tim doesn't write a lot of songs, and he was good for maybe two a year. And Paul could come up with about three, and so there was or four. There was a big gap there between a ten or whatever song album. So there was space for a writer that hadn't been there before when Richie was in the band because he would write five or six songs or have them anyway. And uh, so it was the perfect timing for me to. To step into that, and I had great guys. To Tim and I have pretty similar voices, and so I would yeah. do the song for Tim, and he would sing it, and it would just—it was just magical. It's always perfect. And Paul and George, Paul's the great low part. He's got—he's got an amazing voice, and uh, so they were the perfect tool for me to uh, to actually not end up in a bar somewhere in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, you have to—you have to be a singer-songwriter. That's pretty much the case. Every once in a while, someone slides through that doesn't write, you know, in, in uh, country music, I know. That's pretty much, that is pretty much the rule. And, and the other thing is, is that those are the folks that make all the money. That's, <laughs> that's what drives bands crazy. Creedence Clearwater is a perfect example because John wrote all the songs and had all the publishing. He made all the money. And so the other guys were, they're unhappy all the time because, you know, he's driving around in a Rolls Royce and they're in Volkswagens. It was the same with the birds and Clark when he wrote Feel a Whole Lot Better, one of their early hits. And, you know, he made a ton of money and the other guys were all so pissed off because he was driving a Ferrari and they were, you know, in their Chevy Novas. Yeah. So it's been, always been the case. And, and uh, it puts the guy who does it, if there's one guy in a band in a kind of a... Awkward. Awkward. Yes. You share a story on the on the website about how your backs were to the wall. You didn't know how the band was going to keep going. And you, you wrote Crazy Love. And that was sort of that was the game changer for you. Yeah, 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 it really was. Well, that that's when uh, the labels always kept us because we sold enough records that they made money. And as long as the Eagles were selling 10 million records, they figured, who knows? <laughs> we'll keep Poco on because it doesn't cost us anything. And you never know, they might break through. So uh, we owe a lot to them for that. But um, Tim had just left. He just called and said he was leaving for the Eagles, which we you know, all said, good choice, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no more flying commercial for you. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, when he left the band, 
uh, George left the band too, our drummer. He and he joined the Birds because he thought Tim was long gone. So it's just me and Paul Cotton, and uh, so we were. Uh, the label was not happy with that. They they were going to drop us. They let management know that they were not going to sign us to any more records, and um, so uh, we had been rehearsing the new rhythm section, uh, which ended up being this section on uh, Legend. Um, we were rehearsing, we were auditioning guys and rehearsing with the, the section that we liked and they'd come down and heard and we played, we were playing some new songs. We played Crazy Love and Heart of the Night and Spellbound, I think were the three new songs we were doing and management of course loved it. And, uh, they, they told the record company, listen, maybe you should go down and to the rehearsal hall and hear the new songs that they want to cut before you drop them. And uh, they were all friends of ours. So they, they said, sure, we'll do that. And they, they came down and we played Crazy Love and they said, okay, time to make a record. And that was that. Uh, we would have been dropped if it weren't for Crazy Love. And then when Crazy Love, you know, went went so big, it was number one on Billboard charts for six weeks and, you know, did really well on other the other chart on Billboard. If it weren't for that, it would have ended. And uh, But that gave us such a big push off, you know, going into the when the band was me and Paul, me and Paul Cotton. It was a, a real turning point. You released it in November and everybody was saying, no, you can't do this because it's going to be covered up by Christmas songs. Exactly true. They said, we don't want you to release this in, in November because radio is not going to play new songs. They're going to be playing all the Christmas songs. And I don't know why we stuck it out and said, no, we really want it to come out then. And what happened, I think, my theory about the thing is, is that because everyone was told that nobody released records, new records <laughs> in November, December. And so we were like the only game in town, you know, and uh, I, I I think that might have helped. Probably so. Records. Yeah. But I guess we'll never know. I wrote that song in about uh, maybe half an hour. Did you really? The- yeah. Funny how it works because like Rosa Cimarron, I struggled with. It took, it took a while to write that one. And a lot of songs, and so, some of my favorites are songs that it takes six months or it might even be a year before you feel like it's there. I think sometimes songs are gifts. Like mm-hmm. I didn't write Crazy Love. I just wrote it down. And uh, I, I think that's really the case. See, I have a theory, too, because my, my grandparents were musicians in Colorado. My my grandfather had a band there. He played saxophone and that and, you know, a big band. And they played all mm-hmm. the the big hotels in the mountains where when Prohibition was there, they'd still be able to sneak off. You know, the, the wealthy people would sneak off to a room and, and have a few drinks. And uh, my grandmother was a piano player and she played piano for the silent movies and so what she had to do because they didn't send them sheet music they you just played to what you felt as the what you saw on the screen Mm -hmm. and so she's making up songs every day and i really think that she passed on they passed on uh, a gene to me that is that creative gene for 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 doing just that for making up songs and so uh, you know I, i think that's where that song came from i think it was a gift for my grandma Probably. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. I, you know, I never tried to write and probably because I either didn't have the talent, number one, and I was too lazy to try. So <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, the most fun I ever had was playing in the band. That's just something to it. It's just, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, Are, and it's right. It's really, really great, really special. And, and the audience feeds off of that mm-hmm. and this becomes this whole symbiotic thing between the audience and the, the players and it turns and with Poco, 
it's never the same from night to night. It, you know, there's a lot of improv in it, and uh, and it makes me crazy bands where they play the record note for note. And I understand some bands. Yeah. Uh, well, like America, you know, horse with no name. You you can't change that. You know. Right. Right. I, I get that. But, you know, we just played with them. And Dewey and Jerry are good friends of mine. We played with them, and they, they did it. They, they've got some new young guys in the band, and they're not playing things the way they did 10 years ago. The Eels are even doing that. They're even, I mean, they have so many solos that are so iconic. They right. have to play solo, but they're still branching out, you know, which is really great. And that's what we, we've done, too, for quite a while. And and. It makes it just keeps it interesting for me. You know, if I had to play Rosa Simmer on the same way every night for what would it be now, thirty some years? Yeah, I think I'd go crazy. You yeah, know? and I'm a better musician now than I was then, and so you know we can go better, take it to better places, more meaningful, and and so. Uh, Anyways, that makes playing live so much fun for me, and I think for the Poco Nuts because we have Poco Nuts who come to every show. You know, they'll even come out to Missouri when we play our place here, and I think it keeps it interesting for them because it's not the same exact thing right. every night. Because they can just download it if they want to hear that. How has the business changed with the adv- advent of, of iTunes? Well, it's changed because people people aren't even doing albums anymore. You know, they're doing singles, just singles, right. or ease at the most and uh, so it's changed the business in that way i was in it in the heyday in the 70s and yep. the 80s you know of of albums and and uh then cds came in and all that and uh so that the bulk of my experience with the business was during those years when they, they were there and everything was really different i mean it was very different business you couldn't you can't do now what you could do back then like david geffen for example would uh, he did this thing he with Richie and Southern Human Fury where he shipped he had he invested a lot of money he paid them those three guys you know a, a lot of money to to join him into their band and then he went out they made that record you could flood the market you could send a hundred thousand albums two hundred thousand albums out in one week and Billboard would chart them as if they were sold. So, you know, he could release a record, Southern Human mm-hmm. Fure, and have it just stream up the charts. But what happened was nobody bought the record. So <laughs> then, it, then what happened is it streamed down the charts and he, and he lost a lot of money. Um, it's it's so like, you, yeah, it's like papering the house in, in a theater. Oh, look, we got to use it. Exactly. But you can't do that anymore now with electronic music, you know, because it's, uh, it's sold when it's sold. Back in the day, you go to the record store, you buy an album, you get your cut. It's not existent anymore. I don't, again, I don't know how you make any money anymore, unless you yeah. tour, right? I think Crazy Love is at like somewhere close to four million downloads on Spotify, mm-hmm. and I, I've made I don't know eighty two dollars and thirty cents. I think last I saw. Oh Jesus, that's just that's crazy, that, isn't it? Yeah, no, no it's, pun intended. But yeah, I mean that is crazy. It's it's a, a means to get people to know who you are and remember you, and then when you play shows, that's that's where you make your money when you play play co- concerts. And that's why this is such a tough time on everybody, and so we're just you know holding on for for when we can get back out there, and hopefully everyone will stay healthy. And a lot of the bands, you know, the bands of in my ilk that we play with, the Firefalls and the PPLs and right Orleans and that, that whole 
amazing rhythm aces. We're a lot of old folks. And so you take, you know, a year and a half off, who knows who's going to be able to come back. I know there are guys that are not going to be able to come back in some of those bands. I'm just hoping I can come back. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the audience too. Before it all hit the fan with COVID, who were you playing with? Uh, I know you were playing when you, when you came to Martinsville. You you were playing with Pure Prairie League. Who do they package you with these days? Well, it's uh, the thing. The funny thing to me is back in the seventies when and we were pretty hot and all that kind of stuff. They would uh, we did packages with Joni Mitchell, Mountain, and Poco. You know, and the Boy. promoters. Well, the Goni people will come, and the Mountain people come, and the Poco people. So we'll have a way bigger audience. But what, or Poco and Yes, that was a classic. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, we did, we did a, long, a lot of touring with them. And, uh, but what happens is you, you, you turn off. Have, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm not a big Poco fan. I love Yes, so I won't get there until it right. goes on. Or uh, you know, I'm not going to go all the way till I can see them when it's just them and they can stretch out. Or, so promoters have learned since then because that didn't work to promote like acts yeah. you know same era in this case and pretty much you know with the same kind of roots ppl especially you know they have a steel guitar player um in the band the our booking agency put packages us pure prairie league and firefall together quite a bit for you know mostly big festival things right. and, and smaller pacs and uh, and then other times we'll be with amazing rhythm aces or uh, Orleans. We've we've been doing shows with Orleans, and uh, it's a it's a good package because the audience knows both bands and and uh, knows the music, and uh, we all get along just fine. And so it, it works, and it it fills the halls. It's the deal. You're presenting a lot of product for them, right? A lot of music that they grew up with, right? Do they? Uh, do you ever have people <laughs> people say? You know, when you're trying out new stuff, they, oh, we don't want to hear that shit. Play your, play your hits. <laughs> we want to hear crazy love. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that people say that sometimes. We we haven't found that, haven't found that to be true. I mean, we have a, a we do a couple of, of songs from my solo record in the in this set, and uh, they get a they get a big. Well, maybe I'll play one for you a little later. Um, yeah. They get a big reception. People really like it, and I think. As long as it's not a lot of new stuff, you know, all new stuff yeah. and crazy love. Yeah. I think uh, people appreciate a new song. Yeah. Especially if it's like Neil Young is not my brother, people love that song. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, in our shows, you know, we do picking up the pieces and, and yeah. uh, Child's Claim to Fame, you know, a, yeah. a Kind Woman, she, you know, three Richie songs, uh, Good Feeling to Know. And, yeah. uh, but we also Rosa Cimarron and, and Keep on Trying of Timothy's. Yeah. Um, crazy love and uh, call it love, which was our last, you know, big chart record. And uh, you know, so we and we play heart of the night, Paul's tune, part heart of the night. And uh, so because you know, people come to hear those songs. Yeah, you know, when you were here, uh, and it's been it's hard to believe it's been like either eight or nine years ago. Jack Sundren was in the. It, I, I'm assuming he's still with you, correct? Yeah. Hard country was just what a great song. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that gets that's a big song every night. And uh, yeah, I told Jack we were talking about having all this time off and then getting back together. And I said, "Well, Jack, if you don't do it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'll do the song as, as you're around." He's been in the band since 1985, so wow. he's been in the band about six times longer than Richie was or Jimmy yeah. or you know Tim. 
but he's still the new guy, right? <laughs> well, he still has to carry the bags. Yeah. <laughs> well, what have you got? What's coming up? Assuming, you know, if you could wave the magic wand right now and all this goes away, we were talking about it earlier. Do you think that at some point you're going to be back on the road again this summer? And is anybody being cooped up? Is it hard to create? Have any new stuff in the works? Yeah, I haven't haven't really been inspired to write. You know, you always as a writer, you always have pieces around, you know, you'll have a chorus here or some words you really like or a, a track. You know, I've got a lot of t- different tracks that, I, that I'm that i fond of and that I would develop as songs. But uh, to be tr- totally honest with you, I'm not sure what kind of a recording future uh, I, I have or I want to have. Um, the label, fortunately, is there for whatever. The, they support me totally. But, um, you know, the... There isn't a huge audience, needless to say, these days for acts like us, Paul, uh, Pure Prairie League and Firefall and, you know, any, any of those. Bands. I mean, I don't think there's a giant audience anymore for James Taylor, you know. Yeah. Um, there's great acts like Elton and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's given it up because it just uh, – time moves on and, you know, there's a new kid in town. <laughs> and, <laughs> with, with, and so anyway, I don't think – you know, I, I have a – we have a base, you know, of of so many who will buy it no matter what. But it's just it turns into what they call vanity projects, and that's what my solo record pretty much was. And uh, I, I'm not that vain. I do like writing songs, and I probably will continue just to f- see a few through here and there. But there's no, I'm not looking to get an album together or anything like that. I'm just trying, you know, it, being off. For a year and a half, it, uh, it it affects you. I like my singing. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to be singing. I'm not sure if I can sing now because right. uh, it doesn't. You know, people say, "Well, just sing around the house or play." The, it, it doesn't work like that. Just singing in the shower and singing around the house isn't like singing on stage. You right. know, you you really sing out when you're on stage, and you 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 know, I would feel totally stupid doing that in the house. Uh, <laughs> well, Mary, you, I'm sure Mary would enjoy it. She, she likes that, yeah, but uh, it, it doesn't work for me. We'll see. I mean, six more months of not singing, and, and, and uh, what I'll do is I'll go to Nashville where the band is based, and uh, we'll rehearse for you know a, a week or whatever, however long it takes, and just see if uh, after a few days how, it, how it's going, and if then go the, from Yeah, you got to have the chops. Yeah. You do, especially when you're playing with good bands like Pure Prairie League and Firefall yeah. and all. Guys who are, are also really you know accomplished singers and and so you have to you have to hold it up. And we usually close the show, so we have to kind of feel like we have to be a little bit better, even you know. <laughs> yeah. Notch. Yeah. So the biggest song uh, you know I've ever written is the hardest song for me to sing. I got to that ooh, crazy love, and, and I. I, I told him, don't worry about it, guys. I'll, I'll get words for that. Right now, all I've got is this ooh and an ah thing. And they said, don't you dare. So that part would have been gone if it were up to me, probably. So so here we go. Two, three, third. Tonight I'm gonna break away. Did you get it? I think so. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And to Andy, it was nice talking to you. Oh, and this is, as I mentioned, it's kind of one of those bucket list things. I got to sing with Rusty Young. There you go. <laughs> so, awesome. 
when you're around this in this neck of the woods, hopefully it'll be sooner than later. We'll come and see you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there are places we play around there. Uh, there's a club in uh, Alexandria. The uh, the Birchmere. The Birchmere. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah, we put, they a note saying we can't wait till uh, we have you guys back. So I have a feeling we'll be there in the fall. Yeah. So, oh, good. Well, yeah, there. We spend a lot of time in D.C., so we'll try and plan it so that we're up there when you guys are there. If you're not here sooner. We'll get you to come up and, and sing along on Crazy Love. Oh, the, and, I, and I'll... Now, the, on high part, yeah. the one, the only, Andy! Well, get him the fuck out of there. <laughs> Rusty, thanks so much. Take care. I want to thank Rusty for sharing his story and allowing me to sing with him. This was truly a bucket list thing for me. Be sure and check out Poco's website at pocoband.com and see where they'll be touring once the coast is clear. And while you're at it, grab some of their timeless, ethereal music. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening. <laughs>